Good morning. Okay, after last week, I was making sure I was out here at the right time. If you missed last week, my nightmare happened. I was like, yeah, Graham's going to do another song. And then Graham's like walking down and he's looking for me and I went, oh, I'm supposed to be out there right now. So anyway, uh, thank you for joining us. Question, who did this? Who did this? Nick Heinzen. Is Nick back there? No, okay, it was somebody. Um, this is exactly, I'm kind of offended because this is exactly what we did to my eighth grade science teacher when we didn't want to hear what he had to say that day. I mean, we'd give him like his favorite food or we'd ask him about his college basketball playing days and then he was done, like for 45 minutes, we didn't have to learn anything. So I outsmarted you. I'm going to preach today, okay? So anyway, uh, thank you for being here. Everybody who's here in person, those of you who are joining online, we are going through the book of Mark, and I actually, I want to start off this morning by putting a phrase on the screen, and I just want you to read it, and I want you to ask yourself, what would it take for you to say this to somebody? You are badly mistaken. Okay, now, those of you who are into, into sports, okay, sports don't count, okay? I mean, you, we, we would say this, it, the second you meet somebody who cheers from a different team than you do, Right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, but think about the scenarios in life that it would take you to muster up the courage to make this statement. You are badly mistaken. It, it's, it's a sentence out of the passage we're going to be in this morning. We're in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. And I, I had to think through this in my own life for a minute. I mean, somebody has to really be on the verge of making a mistake, a serious one, or in a pattern of it for me to bring this up. In fact, one of my favorite times to bring this up is actually uh, my wife, Kara. Um, I, this is one of my favorite, favorite things when it happens, okay? She, she coins, she's got these well-known phrases that we all know, and, and they've been coined, and uh, she'll pull them out, but, but something will be off about them, and everybody in the room knows it's off except her. So, for example, years ago, um, she was talking to somebody about her experience in something, and she said... Uh, they, they said, I didn't know you knew about that. She's like, yeah, I've been around the pool a few times. <laughs> okay, what's the word you're supposed to say? The block a few times. I was like, honey, it's not the word. She's like, it's the word. I was like, it's, you are badly mistaken. It is not <laughs> the word, okay? So the other one that happened to me was this week. I pick up our, our middle school daughter, True, from Falcon Bluffs Middle School every day. And I was in the parking lot, and I backed into this back row spot, and it was just me and this other car. And, and there are a few other rows that are full of cars. And the, the alarm rings, or the, sorry, I'm having trouble this morning. The bell rings. All the kids come out. These two boys get to the car. They belong to the car next to me. They are running around the car, and they, they run into, they hit the side of my car. That's fine. It's junior high boys. They're not going to do a ton of damage or anything like that. Their mom, I've got the windows open. Their mom has the window open. She said, boys, you need to apologize for hitting that lady's car next to us. <laughs> and so, like, all my insecurities, I was like, I don't. I look like a guy, I, I hope, I think I look like a guy, so, 
But I, and I, I wasn't brave enough, but I wanted to say, you are badly mistaken. <laughs> you are badly mistaken. So anyway, come to Falcon Bluffs with me sometime. It is an adventure, all right? <clears throat> well, uh, the, the context in which this phrase is said, Jesus actually uses this sentence. And, and here's the deal. It is the last week of Jesus' life. We're in Mark chapter 12, last week of his life. And what's been going on, if you've been following along in Mark chapter 12, is the authorities, the religious authorities are just coming after Jesus. They're looking for something to just bolster their case against him, to be able to make it a slam dunk, that they can put him through trial, that they, can, that they can do away with him once and for all. And so the religious authorities, they're just coming after him, and they're peppering him with question after question after question. And, and in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, we have a different group that shows up. You know, we've been used to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders and the, the Pharisees, and now it's the Sadducees. Okay, and the Sadducees, you'll, you'll learn more about them um, over, over the next few minutes here. But the Sadducees show up, and they ask him a question. We actually read about their, their whole train of thought, the way they viewed life in, in verse 18. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Now, when we read here that Mark says they say there is no resurrection, what he's getting at is they, don't, they didn't believe that there was anything after this life. That when this life is done, your soul is done. There are no angels. There are no spirits. God is just so far off. And, and they, they didn't even really believe he was all that involved in this earthly life. And so for Mark to make this statement is a big statement. It's a really big statement. They said there, there was no resurrection. They come to him with a question. Now we're going to dive into the details of that question here in just a little bit. Basically, they ask him a hypothetical they talked to him about a hypothetical situation. It has to do with marriage and, and a command that Moses gave. And, and they held to basically the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And so all their thinking came from, from these books. And we'll get into the specifics of their situation. But in the middle of this conversation, Jesus, another way of saying you were badly mistaken, he says this in verse 24. Jesus replied to them, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And as I read that, I looked in the mirror and I went, wow, I am no Sadducee. I mean, I don't think along the lines they think along. I don't believe along the lines they believe along. But when I look at this statement right here, I realize this could expand to every single one of us. You want to know how you can go very wrong how you can become badly mistaken is what Jesus points out right here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? And, and I'm sure there are just a multitude of mistakes that we make when we overlook the word of God and the power of God. But as I walked through this passage, as we're going to do this morning, there were three that really came up as prominent to me as I thought about it. The first one is this idea that we overemphasize ourselves. The first huge mistake we make when we overlook the word of God and the power of God is we overemphasize ourselves. They had asked Jesus about this, uh, this woman. She, she'd been married and they hadn't had any kids. Her husband died. And so she married his brother. And they didn't have any kids. Well, it went on like this for seven different marriages. 
And their question was, when the woman finally dies, having had no kids, who, who was her husband? You know, Jesus, if, if there really is life after this earthly life, whose wife is she one day in eternity? And of course, they're, they're, an, they're asking this question based on the way they saw life, the, the way things made sense to them. And Jesus is about to answer them, and he's about to shift the emphasis off of them, off of us, onto something that we maybe, we can't even fathom just yet. Here's what he says in verse 25. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, I gotta admit, I first read that, I was like, no marriage? And like, can I stand by Kara, Lord? Like, can, can I just be near her one day in eternity? But you wanna know why I think that? Because whenever we run into a view that runs counter to us, you know what we do? We bring what, we, what information we have to it, right? We, we impose the earthly onto eternity, and this is what they were doing here. We go with what information we have that makes sense the way we would picture it, right? You grew up watching cartoons, and, and what did we see? We saw that everybody's sitting on clouds. There are harps playing. I mean, we can't really fathom anything beyond what Warner Brothers Studios taught us growing up watching cartoons, right? This is just what we do. We form this image. So when we don't understand something, we begin to apply what information we've got to it. And what Jesus is getting at here is, look, there is a world that transcends this one. It's going to go beyond any of the fulfillments of this life. You know, it's not just marriage. Okay, college football. It's probably not going to be there. I know. Some of you are about to walk out right now, okay? So here, just to be fair, Oreos. Probably not going to be there, all right? And that is devastating is what I first think, all right? But you just think through it. Vacation time. Super Bowls. And what we do is when, when we hear, well, none of that, there's this disappointment that creeps in. And we begin trying to cope, and we begin trying to make sense of it. And as we get, as we kind of can't imagine what it would look like, we begin to fill in the blanks. We begin to go, well, if, if I can't make sense of it, well, then maybe it's, maybe it's not true. Or maybe there's a different option. But, but I'll, I'll come up with that. I'll figure that out. And what ultimately happens is we come back to ourselves, right? It's the way I can make sense of it. And, and if I could just preserve what I like, if I could just preserve the ways, the, the, the structures, the institutions of this world, this is really what they were living for, the Sadducees were living for is if I could just preserve me and myself, then I can cope with whatever that's going to be, right? And what we often do is we, there's a difference. We strive for human immortality rather than rest in the idea of resurrection life, and there's a major difference between those two. Resurrection life is really an act of God. To strive for immortality is really a human effort. And those are two totally, totally different things. But it's so easy to take what makes sense here and just say, oh, it's just going to be some utopia one day. It's just going to be the better version of what we know right now. It's really an exercise. And have you ever tried to carry water in your hands? Like you fill your hands with water? Yeah, how long does the water stay there? Not long. Not long. It, it eventually seeps out no matter how tight the seal. 
this is what happens. I just read an article the other day. There is a 45-year-old multimillionaire out in California who is spending $2 million a year to preserve his body and try to get back to his 18-year-old self. $2 million a year. He eats exactly, he's got a nutrition or a dietitian who gives him exactly 1,977 calories every single day. It's mapped out. He doesn't go a calorie above or a calorie below. How they figure that out, I don't know. He, he has treatments on skin for his skin cells, for his hair, for his nails, for everything. So I'm reading about this, and at the end of the article, I should have put it up here, I don't have it, I get to the end, they show his picture, and I was like, he's still, he looks like a 55-year-old, actually. But see, this is what humans do. We so overemphasize the way I see things and, and the way I, I've just got to preserve me that we can begin to overemphasize ourselves. Well, Jesus keeps going, and we find another major mistake. When we overlook the Word of God and the power of God, we see that we also, we not only overemphasize ourselves, but we underemphasize God. Listen to what he says. He says, now, shifting gears, okay? I've addressed your, your question about marriage. Now, about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then he says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I'm going to make a, um, this is a strong opinion that I hold. If you are overlooking the word of God, you are underestimating the power of God. And this is part of what he's emphasizing with them right here. It's very interesting what he does. See, these guys, as I said earlier, they, they didn't accept any teaching beyond the first five books of what we know of our Bible, of the Old Testament, the Torah. And so they said, look, the stuff that we've got from Moses, our views stand on that. And so Jesus, in, in his divine wisdom, he does something so brilliant. He goes, fine, let's go with that. I'm going to pick something from there, an account, an experience that Moses had, and I'm actually going to refute what you say. He didn't prepare them for that. He just said, have you not read? You remember the burning bush moment? And maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you grew up, you know, learning about it. Moses is in the wilderness and off to just, just in the line of sight, he sees this bush that though it was on fire, it wouldn't burn up. And he walked over to the bush and he has a conversation with God there. And in this conversation, God says to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, why is Jesus bringing this up to him? I mean, how does this somehow refute their view that there was no resurrection, that there's no life after this life? And what he's doing, we've got to pay attention to what he's doing. First, he's bringing them back to the word that they should be familiar with. And as I look at that, I go, wow, before we even get to the point he was making, making, how often do we return to the scriptures? See, oftentimes, you'll maybe hear a biblical account, and isn't it easy to go, oh, I already know what it says. I already know. Yeah, I learned that in VBS when I was younger. Well, I heard that in a sermon one time. I already know what it says. But Jesus is taking them back. And then he's going to take them into the details. He's saying, look, remember the account of the burning bush? Don't just think a burning bush in your mind. There was something that happened in that experience. God was making a point. 
And what he's about to do is cause them, hopefully, ask them to rethink their perspective. What did God say? Can we back up one slide to what God said? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And after paying attention, you know what God didn't say? I was the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He said, I am. Present tense, I am their God. See, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died centuries before this conversation. And yet here's God saying, present tense, right now. I know you're, the finite human brain, it doesn't get it, but right now, they are in some form, in some way, they are alive, Moses. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And suddenly, Scripture, I mean, as you're reading this, you go, oh my goodness, I thought the burning bush account was just like, God wants to get our attention. Absolutely, he does. But what made this a burning bush moment, really, was that Moses came close and God spoke to him. And when we come close, when we revisit those passages that, oh, I know, I already know what it says, as we get back to them and we revisit and we dive into the details, you know what happens? The word becomes living and active. Right? Have you had that happen? You've read that passage that you memorized as a kid, but you live years of life, you come back to that passage, and suddenly you get something brand new out of it, don't you? I, I imagine a number of us have had that experience. And so here, this is what Jesus is doing with the Sadducees. He's saying that passage that you know so well, that passage that you're so sure that your viewpoint stands on, go back and look at it. Because you'll see that even there, God is referencing resurrection life. But see, a lot of times, when we overlook his word, we overlook his power. And when we do that, we begin to overemphasize ourselves and we can underemphasize him. Years ago, did any of you watch Jay Leno years ago? He's not on anymore, is he? I don't know, I go to bed at like five in the afternoon, so I don't know what's, what's on at night anymore. Jay Leno, he used to do this, these um, like man-on-the-street interviews where he'd walk down the street and he'd interview people and he'd ask them questions. And one time he was asking people questions about the Bible. And he would ask people, hey, do you want to answer some questions about the Bible? And, and two young ladies said, oh, yeah, we love the Bible. And he said, all right, um, first commandment, name it. And out of this woman's mouth, so confidently, she said, freedom of speech. (laughs) Like, ooh. So he turns to the other one. Turns to the next one. He says, finish this sentence. He who has no sin, and she said, has a good time. (laughs) Finally, he asks them both, who is known for being swallowed by a great big fish. No joke, with confidence, they said Pinocchio. They said Pinocchio. (laughs) You can actually view the clip on YouTube. It's one of those where you go, oh my goodness, let us never get to the point where we will not open this anymore because we think we already know what it says. Because what it does is it leads to potentially the biggest mistake that we find in this passage. And I'm going to have to rewind us to walk us through what they first came to him with and the manner in which they came to Jesus with their question. 
Because as they came to him, you see this great, great, great big mistake that they can make and that you, can, you and I can make when we, <clears throat> excuse me, when we overlook the word of God and we don't know the power of God. We overemphasize ourselves, we underemphasize God, and we compromise our character. We compromise our character. Listen to, listen to this at the beginning of the passage. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Now, when I read Mark say, came to him, you know what I want to say? I want to say, well, Mark, that was very gracious of you, but they came at him, didn't they? I mean, they came at him. That's all the religious authorities are doing this entire time as we read this. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. And I'm so surprised Jesus wasn't like, okay, you're just making stuff up now, right? This is a trap. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And I've got to be honest, this is my own human brain doing this, but I just can't help hearing the sarcasm of this completely outlandish situation that they're bringing before him because they don't genuinely want to know. They're coming at him. See, this was the character of the Pharisees. You look in Luke and you look in the book of Acts, there are five different times you see the Sadducees come up, and it is hostility every single time. They were, they were a religious power, but they were also a political power. They were arrogant. They were contentious. Josephus, he, he's an extra-biblical source who could speak to what these people were like. He said they would argue with anybody who didn't see things their way. And as you look through this conversation, you can't help thinking what Jesus said is true. You are badly mistaken. You are in error because you overlook the word of God and you don't know the power of God. See, when we overlook those things, our character begins to go down a slippery slope. Like the Sadducees, we begin to rely on our reason our reasoning skills, and oftentimes when we rely on reasoning, you want to know what goes out the door is faith. And so we can go on the attack. We can begin to go after anybody who doesn't see it the way I see it. But the other thing they would do, because they didn't believe God had much to do with this life, if anything, and that there wasn't really anything in the afterlife, there was no judgment, there was no resurrection life, there were no angels, there were no spirits, so they didn't believe there were any sort of rewards or, or punishments or anything like that in the life after this. And so they lived this life staring at this life. They valued and measured people according to what they could do, what they accomplished, what they had. And if you've ever met somebody who lives their life that way, you want to know what you observe over time? Their best days eventually are behind them. They become known for going after people, for being contentious. There's nothing of the character of Jesus in any of it. See, ultimately, your hope and my hope 
in a resurrection life beyond this one will form the way we live this life. It absolutely will. And for those and to those who said there wasn't one, you know what Jesus said? Verse 27 again. You are badly mistaken. And that word, when you, when you look at the Greek, it says to be misled, to wander, to not know, to just look around for answers. <clears throat> so what's the takeaway from all this? It's very simple. I know every, every week I like to like give you a sentence to walk away with. Very simple. Read your Bible. <laughs> just read your Bible. I mean, it's nice to have it on the shelf, but, but maybe like clear the dust off of it. Okay, if you have it on your phone. You want to know how it's been too long? How you know? If you have to download it again, okay? Which is fine, okay? Start there. Start there. But read your Bible. Because part of the power of God is he can take that passage that you think you know, and you think you know, and you memorize it, and you can recite it. And you can go, I can speak to you right there. And I can speak abundant resurrection life into you right there. See, there is something about reading the word of God that deepens our Assurance of the power of God found in trusting the Son of God so that we would experience life with God, both here and after this. And I could stand here and I could tell you and I could tell you and I can tell you, but you want to know what I believe the absolute greatest evidence of it is? I, 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 think, I think back through the history of this congregation. I think of the faces that I've known that are no longer with us, that they carried a hope of resurrection life after this life, and it informed the way they operated here in this life. <clears throat> I think of I think of Cassie Bernal. The very last conversation, the very last words I ever had with her. It was April 18th, 1999. We had a youth group out here. I still remember it clear as day. We were filming a video of different people's testimonies, and she had an, it was an, an incredible shift in her life. We're standing in a line waiting to stand in front of the camera because we had, you know, the giant VHS cameras back then on a tripod, and everybody just went up, and they just spoke for like 60 seconds. I was right behind her in line. I said, what are you going to say? And just so meekly, she said, I'm just going to share what Jesus has done in my life. And I was like, well, that's, I was looking for ideas, but I guess we'll go with that. <laughs> and yet what she spoke was played at her funeral. It's written in the book. She said yes over and over, and those words reverberated. You come back to him over and over because you go, there it is. There's somebody who knows there's a life beyond this life. Two days later, she'd lose her life at Columbine High School. I think of Ryan Keller. Ryan Keller was in the youth group when we were volunteer leaders. And I remember his love to jump into the community, to come and be a part of, it didn't matter. It could be Sunday night youth group. It could be Tuesday night Bible study. It could be going out to eat afterwards, Friday night activities. We'd go pick kids up for lunch from the schools. He was part of all of it. Because he knew that there was something about that that touched on a life beyond this life. Joyce Hunter. Joyce Hunter. 
who decades, decades, I mean, like, we're talking two, three decades beyond where I'm at right now, could outrun me any day of the week. But Joyce, in her gentle, humble ways, she had this character formed by Christ that looked ahead to resurrection life. Glenn Thomas comes to mind. Glenn Thomas. Many of you remember Glenn. He was the first face you would see when you walked into the foyer. He'd greet you with that handshake, and he was so strong. Like, my, my hand has issues right now from shaking Glenn's hand. But at the same time, he was so gentle. A character formed by Christ. I think of Nora Bolthouse. In the conversations with her, specifically about the Bible, I mean, I'm biased, but the part I latched on to is she said she loved to come to church and have something to take away from the sermon. So I'm feeling good about that. But I just remember thinking, wow, here's somebody who loves to hear from the Word and open the Word. There were Ted and Catherine Lord who would make cookies for the youth before we left for youth trips. Glenn and Dorothy Masters. I mean, Dorothy's smile. (laughs) And that, that glimpse of, I believe it was just eternity in her eye. She just carried it. Mike Prendergast. He's part of our choir years ago. Always a smile and always a tear in the eye. He'd offer a teary smile. Bonnie Johansson, Sharon Madison, you always found them at the table. You always found them at the table in fellowship with other people. And I know I'm missing a ton, a ton, a ton of names, but these are the ones that come to mind. Anna Cabrera, with all her encouragement. And when I look at that, I go, you know what? Those are lives shaped by the Word of God, assured of the power of God, trust in the Son of God, and enjoying a life with God, both here and hereafter. See, that's what happens when you'll not overlook, if we'll not overlook the word of God and the power of God that we find in our Savior. So let me pray for you as the worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's so, it's so simple. I mean, this conversation on the last week of your life, you pointed us back to the thing that we can just so practically grab onto, the word of God. To, to look upon the scriptures and know that it's not just a one-time thing. We could read the exact same verse every single day, and you are so inexhaustible. You're so infinite, and yet you're so loving that you could just show us something new every single day that points us to resurrection life. It really is a road less traveled, as we've talked about as a theme. As we walk through these books as, or these chapters, as we look at what it is, what was happening that last week of your life. It really was a a road less traveled, and you traveled it that we would follow. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that for everybody in here, whether it's been years since they opened the Word of God, or it was just this morning, Lord, give us a renewed just hunger and thirst for that Word and to encounter the very power of God found in, in Jesus in its pages. Illuminate to us all that we see here. As we remember those who have been part of this congregation, Lord, let their their examples to us shine brightly. 
remind us of, of what you do with lives that look upon your word and know your power, who trust in your son. We're reminded even this last week of Rick Schmidt, who was so part of the congregation here for many, many years. With conversations with him, his servant heart, him and so many others no longer with us. Lord, remind us that those lives, that character, that's what you do when a life turns to you and humbly says, you are my Lord. Speak to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.